everybody, it's JJ Cooper on another Baseball America Draft Podcast. We're going to do a pair of draft podcasts this week that I'm very excited about, where we are going to talk about Draft Point. And to do so, it doesn't make sense that we would do so any other way than to bring on the co-founder and CEO of Pramana, which Pramana is who does Draft Point, Corey Patton. Corey, let's dive in here. We're going to talk about players. This is, if you're listening on this and you want to hear about players, that's what we're going to get to. But I do want to, before we get to the talking about players, I want to explain to people why we're talking about Draft Point and how we're using Draft Point, the Draft Point tool, in kind of the Baseball America draft coverage this year. So I'm going to start by asking you the very open-ended question, Corey, of, so what is Draft Point? Thanks, JJ. Great to be here. Looking forward to this discussion today. DraftPoint is our offering that uses a couple of pieces of really deep uh, NLP AI technologies that allows us to scan what scouts have been saying about players and people like you, JJ, and Baseball America, and then correlate them with what the players that are currently available to be drafted may look like. So in other words, what you want to do is leave a tail over the years if you're an experienced scout or an experienced writer like Baseball America, and DraftPoint will bring in all of those scouting reports. They will bring in all of the different attributes, qualities, uh, similarities, things that you can't store as either an analyst or a writer or a baseball scout or front office about the way you've spoken about players or written about players in the past and then brings comps to the table, showing you most likely comparable players based on the attributes that were being described or you know, the intangibles that were being described or the fact that a certain scout leaves a certain tail when they discuss good players, how do those players turn out? And then we do a little bit of predictive analysis on top of it to rank them so that they bubble up potential sleepers, helps teams, individual teams do validation of players they're looking at, uh, pulls up potential comps that may look less than stellar, and you might want to take a second look at that player, uh, and really just helps you organize your draft list with a little bit more confidence going forward. So we're not competing with the analytics side of the house. We're only looking at some of the stuff that gets left on the table, which is when the writers and the internal baseball team scouts discuss players from an experience standpoint. And the reason we're here today is because there's almost no better treasure trove of scouting reports in history than uh, the Bible of baseball, baseball America, and you guys. So let's talk draft point. So, okay, one thing I wanted to ask with that, you said NLP and AI, AI, artificial intelligence, I'm imagining most people know, but explain what NLP is to people. Sure, JJ. NLP is natural language processing. So if you take a trip, typical machine learning process, and usually those have to do with uh, structured data in numerics, what NLP does is it takes a an approach that just harvests words and language and phrases and makes associations based on that. It's an AI wrapped around the idea that free text and unstructured data, which is what a scouting report is, needs to be harvested, correlated at a sentence-by-sentence -sentence level to find most likely comparable situations. And one of the things I find interesting about this is because, again, this is something that at the end of the day is trying to compare a current draftable player and looking at the database. Again, we've got years of Baseball America reports in there. And it's saying, what players did we write about this, like this player in the past? But it's, again, this is much more sophisticated than just one, you know, a level pass of saying, mm -hmm. hey, we comp this player to this player. Actually, that's not even in there. If we literally write in there and says, 
we think that Max Meyer's slider is comparable to Carlos Rodon's, the natural language processing doesn't say Max Meyer equals Carlos Rodon because they said it, no. right? It, that's not no. what it's trying to do. No, and as a matter of fact, it can't do that based on the way that we've the application and the underlying platform have been written. We don't even take names into account. Proper names are not associated. We're looking for the way you describe Max Meyer's slider being similar to the way that you describe Carlos Rodon's slider. If they both talked about a wipeout slider, that's very good. It moves it up. And we have a really, we've been working on this for years. So there's some real distinctive properties on the back end that allow us to do associations much deeper than keywords or phrases. It's a multitude of different keywords and phrases and the way that they have a propensity for showing future success that we're pulling out at a scale level. So you, you may pull up Max Meyer and it may say Carlos Rodon in uh, similarity and you dive in and say, well, we may have mentioned that, but we really don't associate the names until you see it in the application. And, and that's, that's one of the things that, that stands out to me. Also, the other thing that is that there's also a sentiment analysis going on here as well, yeah. is there not? Which yeah. I, I think is also key to understanding. Basically, to boil that down, it's looking at what we're saying positively about a player, what we're saying neutrally about a player, and what we're saying negatively about a player, correct? Correct. Absolutely. And, and with baseball reports, and especially when you write editorial style commentary, you do use the term not a great hitter, not perfect, uh, not a uh, not a true swing path, maybe not plus, but above average. The way that we're trying to associate that is we've looked at the, the history of scouting reports and looked at what are uniquely positive and negative traits from a multitude of word levels. So we're doing a sentiment analysis on the scouting report that helps bubble up, okay, this report, well, it may pull out some phrases that have a disqualifier or a negation factor, our sentiment is actually going to pull that out and say, okay, this was, well, it may look like to the, to the reader a positive comment. That's kind of a mixed bag based on the way JJ and, and team have written about this player in the past, other similar players. So the, but before we start diving into players, the other thing I want to kind of cover there, you touched on it, but so we have, and sorry guys, you know, this is not, you know, we can't let everything behind the wall get up front. You know, we have a board <laughs> that basically draft point lays out just like we have the BA 500 and all. But the, the key part of this is, is an important thing for people to understand is the draft point is not trying to build uh, a board of its own and saying, okay, the top guy in this board is the guy who should go one, one the last guy on this board should not get drafted. What it's effectively saying is something, it's more complex than that, is it not? Oh yeah, so this isn't a mock draft. I mean, we, when you will, in the tool, the tool we do have uh, rankings, and we have rankings from the amateur and the pro side, professional prospects and amateurs coming up in the draft. We do do a set of rankings, and that rankings is predominantly for our major league front office users uh, and now Baseball America when they do their deep dives to look at this player that may be at the top of the chart. And we'll discuss a few here in a second to show that, hey, I would not put that guy as our 1-1 draft overall, but there's a guy that we have talked about very similarly in certain categories to other players that have had high success. And maybe take a look at him when you look in your second round, third round, sleepers, validations, or maybe even, I hey, we completely overlooked him this year when we were prepping for the draft. Uh, let's go take a second look. Right. And so that's what we want to talk about today. We're not going to talk about Spencer Torkelson. Well, we're going to do a pitcher's one first, <laughs> but we're not talking about Asa Lacey today. Asa Lacey is yeah. really good. And draft points not, you know, we're, that's not what we're trying to bubble up here. 
what we're trying to bubble up here that I find kind of really interesting is, is we want to talk about some guys who are not on that first tier, but who the, the draft point sentiment analysis, sentiment, sentiment analysis, the draft point natural language processing kind of bubbles up as guys who are very interesting and maybe we should take a second look at. But the yeah. other thing before we dive into that, that I find really useful about this tool that I've enjoyed using it is I, I think of it like, again, when you talk to scouts, scouts talk about the Rolodex they have in their head or the visual Rolodex where they see a player and he reminds of a player that they've seen in the past, or this guy reminds me that swing is like so-and-so's that the way he moves is like so-and-so things like that. And that's the way a veteran scout has an advantage over a less experienced scout because they've seen more players. They've seen more of the outcomes of players, all these things. But the other thing that stands out that when we're looking at draft point that I find useful is it's very easy for us to think about best case scenarios of what's going to happen with these guys. Because for one, we're talking about them in the lead up to the draft. There's a reason that these players are going to get drafted. One of the reasons is, is because they, I mean, they, they have talent. And so what we're saying is, is if this player develops really kind of to the utmost of that talent, here's what he could become. But what draft point does that I find very useful is, is for me personally, it's kind of a nice check on that also, because for every comparison you get, even on a player that draft points bubbling up because it really likes him, it reminds you that these outcomes are of a very, of a, of a wide array of outcomes, but also it kind of calibrates you to think, Oh, you know what, this could be a good outcome, but a good outcome for this guy may be that, uh, that he's a useful big leaguer, that he's a situational, like he's, he's a reliever who makes 30 appearances a season, that kind of thing. And quite simply, when we get to the fourth or fifth round of this five-round draft, if you pick a guy who does that, that's a very good pick. And that's something where it's easy to overlook that, obviously. And one of the things I like that DraftPoint does is it brings me, it grounds me in that way. And I think that's a perfect lead-in to the first guy that we're going to talk about is Holden Powell. Holden Powell ranks 127 on BA's uh, 500, the uh, closer for UCLA. Now, DraftPoint really likes Holden Powell. Corey, why does DraftPoint, what, what bubbled <laughs> up that, that, that is why, you know, and again, I, I, I prefaced it by leading it in. That doesn't mean that it expects Holden Powell to end up being a lights-out, 40-save-a-year, you know, closer. It means that it likes him. Yeah, I, you hit the nail on the head with the idea of just level-setting each player that we're looking at with this. Now, I mean, you know, Holden Powell being up at the top of our list currently with the 500, BA 500 in doesn't mean he's going to be Walker Bueller. You know, it doesn't mean he's, you know, he's going to be Dennis Eckersley of the past. You know, he's going to end up, the way we, we looked at it is way, the way that you discussed him at rank 127 is that he has a close similarity in the description to a guy like Kyle Crockett, who is, you know, he's, he's, he's not, he's no all-star, but he had a, he had a long career in, in major league pitching. And if you look at Holden Powell in your third, fourth, fifth round of this year's draft, and he makes uh, he becomes a serviceable pro, um, that's, a, that's a guy that you hit on in that fifth round. Or in a normal draft with 40 rounds, you know, you, you really have the idea of draft point being able to point to guys that, can be productive players uh, that you can sign later in the draft and not have them be 100% 
uh, an all-star year after year. And so a guy like Holden Powell, the uh, way you guys write about him, college closer, uh, should probably move quickly to the pros, likely as a reliever, uh, a really nice uh, walk, uh, strikeout to walk ratio before the season ended this year. It's got a big fastball and a wipeout slider. And so when you look at draft point, it's pulling up Kyle Crockett up top, uh, also a closer at Virginia Tech years ago in 2013 with a, a super high 51 to 4 uh, strikeout to walk ratio, um, potential to be a starter, but should move quickly through the league, minor leagues as a reliever, or a guy like Corey Newble, kind of the same thing, one of college's best closers when he was um, drafted out of college, really big fastball. You, you comparatively describe them very similarly to Holden Powell. Uh, and so when we look at that and we say that's a neighborhood that Holden would live in. And again, the thing that stands out about this is, is I – that, I, I understand if you're listening to this, you may think that's not the sexiest comparison I've ever heard is we just compared him to Kyle Crockett, who Kyle Crockett, you know, ended up being a reliever, you know, straight away. He never started a game in the minors, but he also blitzed through the minors pretty quickly, made it to the majors in 2014 as a, you know, and, and basically then has had, uh, you know, uh, has been a, a useful reliever uh you know uh up and down guy for a number of years and again that's actually that's actually a positive outcome and yeah you know yeah. and again you know I, I that's that's one of the things i find interesting about this especially as you get kind of to that that second and third tier of the draft um you know it's not always going to be that it's a guy who you're saying oh he ended up being you know uh an all-star but that doesn't mean that he wasn't a, a very useful and, and, and absolutely a, a good draft pick. Um, yeah, yeah. Another one along those lines. Uh, Victor Medeiros, right-hander out of Westminster Christian, a school with a, uh, a, a very lasting uh, legacy of, uh, of, of pro talent. But, uh, but what is it that DraftPoint likes about Vic Medeiros? Well, he's, he's, just a, he's a big righty. Uh, he's got a mid-90s fastball and uh, a plus curve and uh, super high spin rate. And it, the way that you guys wrote about him, he had dramatically improved kind of from year to year during the offseason this year. A, a bit like when we pulled up, it pulled up a guy like, you know, Tuki Toussaint, another guy, big, uh, big 90s fastball with a plus plus curve that was dramatically improving as the, as the draft went along. And so those two pulled those guys comp together. And yeah, that's, that's a, that's a better, more sexy comp uh, yeah. than some of the others we talked about. And so if you're dreaming on Madero's, that's, that's a guy that you like seeing comp. Oh, that, that absolutely is. And again, but that's what it's trying to do is, is it's pulling these similarities and those are some interesting similarities there. Um, the, the next guy I, I also find very interesting, I, I'd say that you know, the, 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 the draft point tool really found some very interesting and, and some comparisons that really kind of stood out for it is TJ Nichols. Um, you know, what is it about TJ that basically that the natural language processing and all that kind of uh, you know, surfaced? Yeah, so think about a guy like Nichols, who, uh, you know, he's Baseball America's 237. And, and in this five-round this five draft, he may get, just, you know, slipped to college. He may go on to college. And I, I will interject, we've moved him up. So I think he's, he's moved up a little bit since then. But yeah, but still, I follow what you're saying. Yeah. 
Well, so. yeah, there you go. So he's moved up a bit since the last time. I'm, I'm maybe looking at an outdated ranking list. But again, uh, a guy who may not make it in this year's draft based on the, just the truncated nature of the draft. But Absolutely. when you look at his comp set, this guy's a kid that's kind of a converted pitcher. Uh, he's got a huge fastball with a big arm. He's a tall, super skinny kid, about 170 pounds, 6'3", uh, really whippy and skinny. And, and you stand there, he might touch 100 miles per hour. Uh, obviously, present relief kind of risk because he just doesn't have a ton of control. But, you know, a guy like Edwin Diaz, kind of same thing, really new to pitching when he was uh, uh, eligible to be drafted, tall and lanky, almost the same exact size. And actually, we're not taking in those numbers into our association. They just happen to be described around those size and weight measurements. But a big fastball, maybe touching 97, 98 when they said coming out, but also terrible control. Trouble with control, needs to put on weight, and highly projectable body. That, that, again, that's very interesting. And that's not a comparison I probably would have come up with, but it, the, they do have some, some things that stand out there. And whether that is that TJ Nichols gets drafted this year or whether he gets to Arizona, and it's something where we're talking about this a few years down the road. I mean, obviously, one of the reasons we do 500 on the list is we know that there are a lot of players who are going to get to college who is still very much worth writing about now because they're going to be guys for us to remember for years to come. But TJ Nichols is, a, is obviously a very interesting with that. I, this next one really also, like when I talk about, to me, some of the interesting guys of the 2020 draft class, Mason Erla is one who really comes to mind because we know this is absolutely the most unusual year that we're going to see in the draft, maybe ever, uh, you know, because of everything. But Mason Erla is a guy who, if we'd have had a full season, It'd have been interesting to see kind of what all he could have done because he really had just an exceptional start to the season for Michigan State. At the same time, it's kind of that success was at a different level than he's ever shown before. And so, and he obviously only got a few starts before everything shut down, makes it harder to evaluate him. Draft point kind of hears that and sees it in the language. And that brought up some interesting comparisons for him. Yeah, and, and I think the one that makes the most sense is a guy like Dylan Cease in 2014. Uh, you know, big right-handed pitcher. Uh, he he kind of had battled some injuries. You, you, he showed flashes, but it would, became kind of a, just a brand-new pitcher the year of the draft, and so it was a bit of a wild card. He was injured but then showed some real flashes, much like Mason Erla, where you talk about, you know, looked like a – actually mentioned, looked like a different pitcher this abbreviated year before they actually – shut down the season, uh, a really big swing and miss fastball, same way you described Dylan Cease in the past, but also a wild card before the draft. Uh, and, and so those comparisons kind of hold up. But again, that's another interesting one to me. And again, it's taking that uh, lack of track record plus big fastball and says, hey, there's some things here. And that, that absolutely fits Mason Erla. Again, obviously, draft point doesn't look at it and say high school versus college. It looks nope. at you know the story of it. And again, there are some differences there, obviously, high school versus college. At the same time, there are some similarities there as well. Yeah. The, the last one I, I wanted to get to with that is, again, when we talk about this, I'm, I, we were trying to find some guys who kind of who fit, and, and they fit not because, again, you know, we're, we're, we've talked a lot in podcasts about some of the guys at the top. We want to talk about some of the, you know, get, this gives us a, a, a good way to talk about some guys a little lower down. Kyle Harrison, I believe on our most, I believe on our most recent list is 72nd. Lefty out of De La Salle High School, Concord, California. 
uh, committed to UCLA. But what were the attributes that made him kind of pop uh, on well, Trapp? Look, Kyle Harrison, anybody who's watched tape on him, uh, he's got this three-quarter arm delivery that's really deceptive and kind of uh, throws hitters for a loop. And I, I really think he's going to be something uh, special down the road. But right now you're looking at just a, a lefty with a really deceptive arm action, gets a lot of arm side run, uh, a real sweepy breaking ball. Um, but a ton of projection left. And, you know, some of the comps that it brought back was a guy like Ryan Yarbrough, uh, also very similar, said the exact same descriptions of him, lefty, deceptive, three-quarters arm action, comes at you from that side like that. Hitters have a hard time picking it up. A lot of arm side run, run with a sweeping breaking ball. And uh, another guy like Matt Boyd, same type of arm action, good deception and angle. And, you know, when you when you pick up the the action of the delivery, uh, as a real high comp mechanism, that's good for what DraftPoint does best, is it is not just pulling the standard terms that you'd expect. It's looking at, you know, arm actions and, and sweepiness of pitches and things like that that pulls together so that you can say, well, this isn't a one-to-one, but they're in the same neighborhood of the way that you guys described them when they were eligible to be drafted. Again, that's interesting to kind of look at him and, and see some of those possibilities. And again, I come back to, I, I just say to the prospect fan the, the draft the draft nick one of the things that's useful for us to remember absolutely useful is is that in any draft we're going to have players who whatever we think they could become now they're not going to reach that we're going to have other players who we think they could be this or they could be this and they end up somewhere in the middle and then we have other players who are going to exceed the expectations obviously that happens every draft one of the things I love about DraftPoint, though, is that it's bringing up an array of guys, an array of, of possibilities, and kind of, okay, let's dive deeper into this. And, and kind of, again, it, it's allowed for me, as we go through this, to kind of take second looks at guys. And I think that, obviously, that's part of what DraftPoint's supposed to, you know, that's, that's part of the okay. purpose of it. You nailed it. And a lot of the use case for, for you guys internally at Baseball America, I'm assuming, is creating a bit of a discussion point amongst uh, when you're putting the draft rankings together or even more as you go towards draft day and draft week. There's going to be a discussion point about, you know, I see these. Does he remind me? Yeah, I didn't even think about it. But maybe, you know, Kyle Harrison looks a little bit like, you know, a, a, a Matt Boyd and I wouldn't have popped a mind right out of the bat or for, for major league clubs, when they're doing their prep uh, meetings throughout the spring, they've used draft point to really start the discussions and have second looks and go back about, hey, I did not think about that. But yeah, that does remind me of when I looked and scouted, um, you know, Matt Boyd back in the day. And then so I'm going to go take another look at Kyle Harrison and, you know, maybe he's got that as his ceiling and maybe he's got a higher or maybe a lower, but we'll do adjustments and based on that. So. Uh, okay, and just to explain to people a little bit before we wrap up, we're also going to do a, if you enjoyed this one, we're going to do a hitters podcast, a very similar hitters podcast um, with, you know, with guys that draft point kind of surfaces. But I did want to just kind of lay out to people when they know to, to understand kind of what it's pulling from. So to put this together, to kind of give us a starting point for this, we have years of old Baseball America draft reports in there. And, and pro reports, but, in, but draft reports in there, hitters and pitchers. And then you all have kind of gone through that and then developed essentially kind of a, a true score with that to kind of help. Because you have to have, to get into the weeds at least a little bit before we wrap this up, you got to know when you compare someone to someone else, is that a good thing or a bad thing, right? 
Well, of course. Yeah. And so we've created our own metric, our, our, our P-War that, that allows us to decide what the potential, not potential, well, yeah, it is of the player we're looking at, but it also describes the performance of the player that we're comping them to. So you do know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And it's not simple as one-to-one. -one. We have a lot of math on the back end that, that shows um, the similarity score, just how close these comps are that will also impact where they are going to be ranked on our list. So it's not just they have a couple of terms together. There is a preponderance of evidence that this is a 85-90% comp. That'll boost up the score a little bit higher when you do that as a truth metric. So, uh, you know, you guys have a, a an entirely rich history of amateur scouting reports and pro scouting reports that we have to look at uh, when we bring those all together. So you don't stop just with the draft. You can use draft win all the way through the year with your pro prospect reports as well. Right. And, and the thing that we do with that is, is then we keep working on putting even more and more in there. But the idea is, is that having, you know, for instance, pro reports that go back to 2005, I think in, in there so far, mm -hmm. gives us a, a rich, that's, uh, I, I mean, that's more than this, but at a minimum, that's essentially, you know, uh, close to 15,000 scouting reports in there. Well, that's 15,000 scouting reports every year that, you know, as we keep putting more in there, it keeps giving us more information from the past, which helps us learn for the present and the future. Um, and again, the, the key part is, though, is, is it's trying to drill down beyond just when we say that a guy has a plus fastball. It's drilling down and into arm actions. It's drilling into swings. It's drilling into all these things to pull out these aspects of it that – I, I, the way the human brain works, we're just not able to do all that. There's just a limit to how much you can keep in your head. You may, you may look at a guy and say, hey, that's a, that's a swing that reminds me of so-and-so because it really pops to me, but you're not going to remember the other five guys. Or maybe there's five guys that someone else wrote up that you didn't even ever see, and so you're not even describing that swing. You don't have that in your Rolodex. That's one of the things to me that DraftPoint really, really does. Yeah, I have no doubt, JJ, that you could recall 15,000 players and every single uh, attribute no. amongst them, no. Uh, no. but not everybody can. And I know working uh, with, with VA, obviously, it's a huge advantage to be able to have that at your fingertips. And, as, and for teams, they, they use DraftWin on their own internal database of scouting reports, which means as they have a scouting department of 30 plus people for years and years and years, you've got just exponential reports that you can scan back and forth and pull up. You know, and as and I've had a couple scouts say it's it's great that some of the newer scouts uh, can see comps of the past and understand what our experience is pulling when maybe they were just different eras of baseball that they were evaluating. Yeah, I think that that's and that's again that's one of the key things that we're we're trying to use this for is to give us another level of analysis and and the key part of this is is that this is a scouting tool. Like I said, it's not. This is not, I mean, we, we also want to use analytics to help analyze when it comes to statistics and all that. But this is a scouting tool. This is not something that's diving into the numbers. It's diving into the language to try to basically surface out more information, you know, from what is in a scouting report. We like to say it's kind of a, it completes the puzzle. 
So obviously the analytic side of the house at major league teams are hugely important. I think there are, there of course are a myriad of factors, but one piece is what are you, how are you describing these players? What does your experience tell you? And what is that valuable gold in the language that you're using to describe every single interaction? What does it tell you about? And that completes the cycle and uh, the drafting puzzle. But so this is our, again, our first of two parts. We're going to do a uh, hitters draft point podcast coming up on Thursday. We hope you enjoy though this pitchers and this look at draft point overall. And we will be back again. Corey and I will be back together again to you know with another podcast talking about some of the more interesting guy hitters who are not in that first tier. Again, if you don't come Thursday thinking we're going to spend a whole lot of time talking about Torque or Austin Martin or guys like that, we're going to talk about guys who are a little bit lower on in the draft. We're trying to 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 build out guys that you may hear their names not on day one of the draft, but on day two of the draft. Looking so, forward to it, JJ. So for Corey, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. <laughs>